Let's dive in today. Uh, we're about to jump into our final installment of our series, Find Joy. We've called this series Find Joy. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and here's why we call it Find Joy. That one of the primary themes of Philippians is joy. And Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes about joy while in prison to a group of Christians in persecution. Listen, if your boy can have joy in prison, you can have joy at work tomorrow, okay? <laughs> you can, your, your kids can have joy at school. Uh, but you can have joy in your life if Paul can have joy while in prison. If, if, if the Christians in Philippi can find joy in under persecution. So that's why we've called this fine joy, how to experience lasting joy. And it's summertime, so many of you have probably gone on some vacations or maybe planning on a vacation before summer's over. And Anybody else experience this? You, had, you go on vacation, and you all know how to find vacation. Uh, you know, vacation parents with kids, it's called a working trip. Come on. One you don't get paid for. Uh, and then vacations without kids is what I call a real vacation. I love my kids, but I love my wife a whole lot. Come on, somebody. Um, and Christine and I had one of the real vacations earlier uh, last month, and we were away together. And you have this great time. Uh, have you experienced this? You have this great time on vacation, you know, vacation joy. And then you come back, and you have 1,272 emails in your inbox. Joy gone, Right? you got to organize camp for your kids. Come on, like the D.C. area. It's like warfare out there. Come on, somebody. Uh, it's like we have a wait list of 7,000 kids. How do you have a wait list of 7,000 for this camp? I don't understand. Uh, joy gone. Like joy from vacation comes and goes. But what we're talking about and what Paul talks about in Philippians is how to have a lasting joy, not a circumstantial joy. In fact, he wraps up. In Philippians chapter 4, he talks about great joy. He says, I rejoiced greatly. Now, I want to talk today about how we can have great joy or lasting joy. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And, Father, we know that you're speaking, God. So as we open up your word today, uh, Father, we just say, speak to us. Your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Philippians 4, if you have your Bibles, uh, verse 10. We're going to read 11 scriptures today uh, to open us up. Uh, it says here, the end of Philippians 4, uh, Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to have to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share with me in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus... Little side note, that's a great name for your next child, Epaphrodite. No one in his class will have that name. The gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to share with you three thoughts from the Apostle Paul today about how we can find great joy. Uh, Three truths to take hold of. Here's the first one uh, you can write down is that we have to take hold and what Paul teaches us is that contentment is found in Christ and not comfort. It's found in Christ, not comfort. He said, I've been well fed, I've been hungry. I've had plenty, I've been in need. In fact, we know this, Paul was very wealthy uh, when he first came to faith and through different trials and imprisonments, he lost much of his wealth. He said, but I've learned the secret of being content. And he writes this to the church at Philippi who was influenced by the Roman culture. Roman culture is very, very similar to our Western culture now in 2023. A culture that was consumed with consumerism. Uh, that they thought that contentment came from success or from wealth or from position. And he says that I have this contentment. I, I found the secret of contentment. But it's not in those things. It's actually in him who gives me strength, Paul says. Have you realized this in our modern culture, that we are conditioned to be discontent? Have you had this happen to you, that you go out and you buy something, let's say a pair of shoes or an outfit, and then you pull up Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, and there's an advertisement for another new outfit, another new pair of shoes, and you're like, ah, oh, I should get those too. Or have you had this, you buy a new car, and six months later, the dealership calls you. Hey, if you trade in that car, you can get an even better car. It's like, bro, I'm trying to pay off the car I got six months ago, okay? Right? Or come on, HGTV. Listen, if you want to hate the house you live in, watch HGTV. Come on. I rebuke Chip and Joanna Gaines. I say, you get off my television in Jesus' name. I'm tired of your redesigns. You look around your house like, this is a dump. (laughs) Why can't I have that? But uh, do you see this? We are conditioned to be discontent. Have you ever noticed that, like, maybe you've, I know I have, it's always the next thing that will be the best thing. It's like the next promotion or the next season or the next house. Come on, for some of us, the house you're in now was your dream house 10 years ago, but now you're thinking about the next house. Some of you, the job you're in now was a dream job five years ago, but now you're looking forward to the next thing. Hey, here's the secret. The next job won't give you contentment. The next house won't give you contentment. The nicer car won't give you contentment. Hey, we are conditioned to be discontent. This past week, one night, we had a, a man night in the Burroughs household. Uh, it was me, myself, my son Judah, and our dog Toby. Uh, we included everybody. So uh, that night, I was, feeling like a, I was feeling like a generous dog dad. And uh, I made him his favorite food, chicken. Come on. He's a dog after my own heart. Uh, he's like, he doesn't want anything. Else. He's like all meat all the time. So I gave him some chicken. And then I gave him some cheese because we all love cheese. Then I cut up his favorite vegetable. He loves carrots. Um, so I, I, I fed him a lot of food. I'm not going to lie. More than usual. And then he ate his whole bowl of kibbles. So then I go to cook dinner for myself. 
So I'm cooking a turkey burger. And then I turn around, and who is sitting at my feet with the expression on, on his face, can I have some? But my dog, Toby, I'm like, listen, I just fed you a ton. You had more food than a grown man should have. There was no way you're still hungry. But then I was reminded of what the veterinarian told us on the very first visit. She said, be careful how much you feed him. Dogs don't know when to stop eating and they'll eat themselves sick. Listen, if we keep thinking that it's the next or the more or the larger salary or the bigger house or the newer car or the next promotion that will satisfy your soul, we will end up longing for the more and it will make our soul sick. Because we will live in perpetual discontentment. And discontentment will lead us to make bad decisions in the same way my dog will eat himself to the point to where he'll be sick. We can find ourselves with a sick soul. Here's what Paul said to young Timothy. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. It's a trap of the enemy. Into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Have you ever made a bad decision while discontent? Have you, ever, have you ever had buyer's remorse? Come on, you were out and you thought, man, if I just had that outfit, if I just had that, if I just had that new set of golf clubs, then, then I'll be good. And then you get them and you realize, no, now I just have less money. Come on. <laughs> hey, listen, discontentment will cause you to make bad decisions. It will cause you to overspend leading to financial stress. It will cause you to buy that car you don't need, leading to more debt. It will cause you, your discontentment in your singleness will cause you to enter a relationship you shouldn't be in. Your discontentment in the job that you find yourself will cause you to take a job that you were not supposed to take. Discontentment can cause us to make destructive Decisions, if we think it's that job, it's that car, it's that thing, it's that salary, it's that person who will somehow satisfy the longing of my soul. Let me just say this. There's no condemnation. I in my past have struggled with discontentment. I don't, I'm not up here like I'm somebody who's made it. But I have learned the destructive nature of discontentment. You will overextend yourself, overwhelm yourself, overstress yourself if you allow it to be a driving force in your life. So what do we do? Hebrews 13.5, the author of Hebrews writes, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hey, write this down. God has no problem with you having stuff, with you having money, with you having position, with you having power. But he has a very big problem when power, when position, when money, when stuff has you. Because he knows how destructive it is. So he's got no problem with you having stuff. He's just got problems. Let me just say this. Stuff having your heart is not contingent on how much stuff you have. There are people with lots of money that money has their heart. And there are people with very little money and money has their heart. So it's not about how much I have. Well, that's not my problem, Pastor. I don't have that issue. It's about a heart posture, a heart. That's why the author, all throughout the book, all throughout the Bible, contentment, contentment. Jesus talks about contentment. Hebrews, Paul says godliness with contentment is great 
gain in our lives. That nothing in this world, that's what Paul was saying, nothing externally can satisfy you. Not more money, not more success, not a new car, not a larger house, not a relationship can satisfy longing in your soul. As David wrote in Psalms 42, I love this scripture, one of my favorites. As a deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. Only God. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I have living water. Listen, our souls are thirsty and only God can satisfy it. As C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote. He said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you find yourself unsatisfied, a new job this fall will not do it. A nicer car will not do it. A larger salary will not do it. Getting married will not do it. Having children will not do it. The only thing that can satisfy the longing in your soul is Christ. It's the only thing. Listen, I want to invite you, join us in 21 days of prayer. Because the only one who can bring satisfaction and contentment, who can fill the deepest longing on the inside of you that all of us have, is our relationship with God. That's why we're, we're starting this fall before we even get into the fall. We're doing 21 days of prayer. We're going to seek God. And let me just say this. We don't pray first because we need something from God. We pray because we need God. Say, God, if you do nothing else for me, I just need your presence. It's in your presence there's fullness and joy, not in my prayer being answered. It's in your presence there's perfect peace, not in perfect conditions. God, I need you. That's why we pray. That's why we seek God. Can I say this lovingly? And you need him. You do. Your soul needs him. My soul needs him. Only he can satisfy our deepest longings. Contentment comes from Christ, not from comfort. Here's point number two. Is that provision, Paul reminds us, comes from God, not from us. He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He reminds the church at Philippi. That you are not your provider. That your employer is not your provider. That your source is not the government or a bank or who you work for. That God is your source. And he reminds them you don't have to be anxious about your supply. Because you're pursuing God, you're putting God first, God will supply your needs. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. This is Jesus. He said, don't worry about what shall we eat. What shall we drink or what shall we want? For those, the pagans, which is those who don't believe in him, they run after these things. And your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Can I give you a 2023 version? Do not worry about the state of the economy, about inflation, about whether you've saved enough about the state of your industry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen, you can trust the words of Jesus Christ. 
I think you can trust the words of a man who put his life on a cross and died for you and rose again so you could have eternal life. If you believe it, can you say amen? So he's telling us to seek him first. You know, it reminded me again <laughs> this week, my, my, my dog Toby, when we first got him, um, he had these two kind of, I thought, strange behaviors we asked his vet about. So he would give him a, a treat, and he'd take the treat, and he'd go and he'd hide it, like in his bed, or like, and he'd like cover up the covers over it, or like he'd like drop it in the seat cushion of, or the, in the seat cushion of our couch. Those are fun. Um, and then he, he'd put it in like different rooms, and then he would try to flip his bowl over, like of his food. We'd fill his food up and he'd try to flip it over. So we were like, we asked the veterinarian, we're like, what, what is this behavior? And she said, oftentimes puppies who they were, they, they kind of their first few months were in a litter, they have to fight for their food. So there's like a degree of food insecurity on the inside of them because there's like tons of their brothers and sisters. And when they give the food, it's like, you know, you got to make sure you get yours. So he, he was still had this mindset of insecurity. So he was hiding his food. And, and after, after now, it's been about five months that we've had him. He doesn't hide his treats anymore. I give him a treat. He sits down in the middle of the floor and he eats that thing right there. <laughs> Here's why. Catch this. Because he knows that his family that he lives with will provide for him the next day. That he doesn't have to hoard. He doesn't have to hide. Hey, I want you to receive this. Your God in heaven will provide for you. You don't have to hoard. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be anxious. If you seek God first, he will take care of you. It's all throughout the scripture. You put God first, God will provide for your needs. And listen, can I tell you this? God will give you a peace that no amount of money can. God will give you a peace that no number on a paycheck can. God will give you a peace that nothing about the state of the economy or inflation can. So regardless of your circumstance, whether you have plenty or whether you have need, whether you are well fed or whether you are hungry, whether there is abundance or whether there is lack, you can have peace in your spirit. Financial peace does not have a number. Financial peace is about who is your Lord. That's where it comes from. And that's why Jesus, you know Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Why? Because he knew, man, if you get this right, if you understand where your, where your supply comes from, oh, it will solve a lot of issues in life. You know, Billy Graham said this. If you get your attitude about money right, it will solve a host of other problems in your life. If you get that attitude right in your life, seek first. You know, I was reminded a few weeks ago, I talked about, I was talking to a, a member here at the church. And they are currently kind of in between jobs. And they were saying there are some days, understandably, uh, facing kind of anxiety about it and as they're looking for work and they said, but you know what? And they actually came back to that scripture, Philippians 4.19. They said, but I, I'm, I'm trusting in God. And even in the midst of this anxiety-provoking season, I have a deep internal peace. That's where it comes from. Now listen, this is important, though. If God is my source, 
Here's what that means. Write this down. That means that I am a steward of my resource. I am not an owner. Come on. It's not my money. It's his money. He's just been gracious enough to entrust me with what I have. Can I tell you an attitude that will help you with a lot of your life is you understand what you have is not your own. When you understand what you have is all by the grace of God. Listen, I know you worked hard for that money, but God gave you the mind to solve those problems you paid for. God put the breath in your lungs to get up in the morning to go to work tomorrow. Right? We didn't put that breath in our lungs ourselves. The creator of the universe did. So we recognize, God, I am a, I'm a steward. You are the owner. Earlier this summer, we took our kids to, uh, to the lake for a few days. And we got an Airbnb. You probably have experienced this. When you, when you run an Airbnb, they usually have like a binder or some kind of posted somewhere, the house rules. And it's like, here are the expectations from the owner. Like, strip the linens when you're done. Wash the towels. Do the dishes, you know. Don't do this and do this. Kind of the expectations that they want for you while you're there. So what we do when we go to an Airbnb is we sit our kids down and we say, hey, listen, this isn't our house. This is somebody else's house. And here are the rules of this house that we're going to follow because this isn't our house. It's it's theirs. And they actually listened really well. Um, I don't think Toby understood what we were saying. We brought him with us. He ate one of the toys in the house that we later discovered. I won't tell you how. But... There's house rules. Here's what this means for us. I hope you get the heart of this. We are a steward of everything in our life, our relationships, our finances, our gifts. So when it comes to how we steward our life, God's word is our primary instruction. We say, God, I submit to your word because your word is instruction for my life. Because my life is not my own, it's yours. My money is not my own, it's yours. My time, my life, my gifts, my relationships, they are not my own, they are yours. When you begin to have that posture and you look to what God's word says and his instructions for your life. Here's Jesus, Luke 16. He says this. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy in handling somebody else's property, then who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one, you'll love the other. Be devoted to one, despise the other. Look who he calls out. You cannot serve both God and money. He says, listen, if you're not trustworthy in handling your money, I want you to write this down. This is important. How you manage your money matters to God. How you spend your money matters to God. How you you manage the resources. Listen, Jesus talked more about this than heaven or hell. There are more scriptures about money in the Bible than there are about prayer, than there are about faith. God cares about our money because he knows, as Jesus said, wherever our treasure is, there will be our heart. So how we manage our money matters. I want to give you one principle that's all throughout Scripture for managing money. This isn't about giving. This is about how you manage what you have. And that's this, is to live with margin. Do you know we serve a God who is a God of margin? Watch this, Genesis 1. He worked for six days, and what did he do? He rested on the seventh day. 
You know what that seventh day of rest is? Margin. That's breathing room. Just, just a side note, you don't have to take a Sabbath. But it's, it's a good principle to have margin in your life. A day of worship and rest unto God. Live with margin in your finances. The proverb says this, that the wise store up wealth and the fool spends all they have. It says in Proverbs. That it's actually wisdom to live with margin. There's a principle I heard years ago. I'm not sure who came up with it, so I'm going to claim it's my own. Come on, somebody. That's what you do, a little side note. If nobody claims it, just say, you know what, I had this idea the other day. Just kidding. It's called the 10-10-80 principle. 10-10-80 principle. And it's a budgeting principle. Now, I think it's a great starting block for how you manage your, your, your money. This, this, this is what it is. 80% of what you have is what you live off of. That's your, your, your rent or mortgage, your food, your clothes, entertainment, insurance, everything. 10% you save. It's your breathing room. Emergency savings, retirement savings. Again, starting block. I, I think it's great to grow from here. And then 10% you give. Because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not more blessed to, to receive than give. Uh, it's not more blessed to save than give. It's more blessed to give, the Bible says. 80 10 10. Now, let me say this. We as a church operate off of this principle. So when we budgeted since day one as a church, here's how we budget. We budget to save 10%. Every year we budget minimally to save 10%. We budget to give away 10%. We give away to missions organizations, to outreach. We do so much in the community because we, we budget 10% of everything that comes in. 10% of your dollar goes out of these doors. doesn't go into Catalyst Church. Can I tell you this? Last year, I, I checked the numbers last night. We operated our church off of 69% of what came in. What that does? Margin. Can I tell you what we've never had as a church? Pressure financially. Can I tell you what's God's will for your life? Is to not live with financial pressure. Live with margin. When you begin to operate with margin, you'll end up finding more margin. So next thing you know is you're not living off of pressure. You're not feeling this anxiety. Do you know one of the worst stress in life is financial stress? Have you been there? Listen, God wants you to have financial peace. He gives you peace, but he wants you to live with margin. I want to challenge you. Maybe you're here and you're like, Pastor, I'm, I'm spending 105% of what I take in. <laughs> I'm living in debt. And please hear this. There's no condemnation. Listen. But, 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 but God's heart for you is to live with some margin. You know what I found in my years of pastoring? That most people desire to be generous. Hey, a little side note. Write this down. Do you know why you desire, do you know why deep internal side of you, you, you desire to be a generous person? Because you were created in the image of God, and God so loved the world that he gave. Like we were made in his image, and by his nature, you are generous. I think it was Corey Tinboom who said this, we are most like God when we give. Because that's who he is. But listen, I have found most people aren't stingy. They're strapped. Like they don't have the room to give. It's like, I want to give. I'm just living beyond. And listen, the cultural conditioning is for discontentment. And the cultural conditioning in America is for us to live off of credit, not with margin. Hey, in God's, God's will for your life is to live with peace and margin so you can be generous because it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
Can I get an amen? So, our contentment comes from Christ, not comfort. Number two, our provision comes from God, not us. Here's my last point. Enjoy, this is Paul's really theme of these last few verses, comes from giving, not receiving. He thanks the Philippian church for their generosity. He said, man, you gave to me when I was not only here in Philippi. He's like, you were the only church who gave to me when I was in Macedonia, when I was in Thessalonica. You, you helped me to, to forward the mission of Jesus in these cities because of your generosity. Do you know that whatever we give our money to, we forward the mission of whatever we give our money to? Come on, how many of you know, when you pay your Netflix, they auto-debit. Come on, and it just went up a few months ago. When they auto-debit every month, your money to Netflix forwards the mission of Netflix. Do you know that? When you go buy lunch this afternoon, whatever restaurant you buy from, you're going to forward the mission of that restaurant. You're going to help them to keep going and keep moving forward. They build in margin to forward their mission. When you go buy your favorite outfit or shoes or when you buy a vehicle, you are forwarding the mission of whatever company you use. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a real thing. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, because you gave to me and the ministry, you forwarded the mission of Jesus Christ on the earth. Hey, Catalyst, you're a generous church. You're a very generous church. Do you know your generosity is forwarding the mission of Jesus Christ? Do you know this year we are, on, we are set to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ this year than any other year yet in our history because of your generosity? Do you know that children and students right now in those classrooms, students are, are being discipled in a healthy local church because of your generosity? You know what excites me? Last month in July, we had the highest number of students attending our student service than we've ever had in our history. That excites me. I tell you what, see, do you know what's our heart as a church? Do you know the majority of Christians in the world come to faith before 18? So do you want to know where our best investment comes from? Not in this room. I love y'all, but it's our next gen. Can I get an amen? amen? I love our next gen. Hey, your generosity actually through our partnership with some local organizations provides food in the hands of men and women experiencing homelessness every week here in Montgomery County. Your generosity is planting churches all over this world through our partnership with the Association of Related Churches. Your generosity here at Catalyst is helping putting the Bible in hands of children in unreached areas of the world through our partnership with One Hope. Church, your generosity here at Catalyst is forwarding the mission of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying to the Philippian church. That you are forwarding, you are, you are planting churches, you are helping to make disciples, you are changing lives in Jesus' name. But listen, giving to forward the mission of Christ is a secondary reason we give. Here's the primary reason. Paul closes with this. He says, your gifts, verse 18, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That, that phrasing was used in the Old Testament. The Philippian Christians would have been very familiar with that phrase. That it was, a, it was an act of worship. Hey, write this down. Our giving to God is an act of worship first. That's why here at Catalyst, when we transition to our time of, of tithe and offering, we say we're going to transition back into worship. If you've ever wondered, are we going to sing a song? Why don't we sing a song? 
Because we worship God through our giving. When we give to God, it's an act of worship. That's what Paul is saying, that your, your giving has been worship. Here's the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. This is why it's worship. Do you know your giving is not transactional? When you give to Netflix, it's a transaction. When you pay for your lunch this afternoon, it's a transaction. When you give to the mission of Jesus, when you give to God, it's, it's worship. It's transformational. It, it, it affects our heart. He says, no one can serve two masters. He, he restates what he said in Luke here. Either you will hate the one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you know that money wants to be your Lord? Money, this is the words of Jesus, you can't serve God or money. Money wants you to pursue it like you pursue God. Money wants you to trust in it. Have you ever met someone who trusts in money more than they trust in God? Money wants you to sacrifice for it like you're supposed to sacrifice for God. Money, he says, you can't serve both God or money. Not my words, these are the words of Jesus. You're either serving one or us. So here's what happens when we give, is we dethrone money off our heart. And we don't worship money, we worship God with our money. We say, God, you are Lord of my life. You are my provider when we give. These are the words of Jesus. And let me say this. Please hear this. You're wondering, oh, no. You know, you get, un- you get uncomfortable with money. Please hear this. Here's what God, God does not need your money, but he wants your heart. Hey, we as a church, same way. This God wants our hearts. He doesn't need our money, but he knows our money is connected to our hearts. When we give, it's an act of worship. Then he closes with this, verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is more be credited to your account. Here's what he says. Your giving, your gifts are an investment. That more is credited to your account. Let me give you the words of Jesus again. Verse 19 of Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know, I have a few loves in my life, and one of those loves is Chipotle. Anybody else? There was a strong community in first service who were pro-Chipotle. I mean, there's something about, like, the chicken and the queso. Listen, if you haven't gotten queso, do it. You'll be glad. Queso, the chips and guac, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't like cilantro, but I like cilantro at Chipotle. I don't know what it is. I love Chipotle. So they have an app. If you don't know that, download it. So I, I've used the app for a long time. And I didn't realize this when I was ordering on the app. Um, about a year and a half ago, I found this out. I thought the app you just ordered. But you actually are earning rewards with Chipotle. So I found this out like a year and a half ago. And your boy had nine free entree rewards. <laughs> I was like... I've never had Chipotle for breakfast, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> and then they'll give you, like, free queso rewards. I mean, it's amazing. I'm going to have Chipotle today because I've talked about it so much now, two services. 
I hope, I think I actually have a reward right now too. But here's, listen, they give you rewards based on the fact that your boy probably orders too much Chipotle. But the more Chipotle you order, the more rewards they give you. And I was surprised by the rewards that I had. Now I know. And hey, listen, here's what Jesus is saying. In fact, earlier in Matthew 6, he said this. He said, when you give, your Father in heaven sees you and he rewards your generosity. Hey, our motivation for giving is not rewards. But can I tell you this? The Bible is crystal clear all throughout Scripture that when we get to heaven, there are rewards in heaven. As Paul said, more is credited to your account. It's an investment that yields a return. When you get to heaven, I've told this before, there are two judgments that we'll face when we get to heaven. There's the judgment of have you professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first one. And then for people who follow Christ, and they, the answer is yes, I profess Christ as, save, as Lord and Savior. There's a reward-based judgment. He rewards us based upon our obedience here on earth. It's in the scriptures. And we are rewarded for our generosity. So hear this. This is biblical. I believe you should be generous in all of your life. That's in the Bible. But listen, not all generosity is the same. Because there are eternal rewards when you give for what matters and what counts in heaven. When you give and children are discipled. When you give so people come to faith. When you give to support missionaries. When you give to plant churches. The words of Jesus, the words of Paul. More is credited to your account. God rewards our generosity. Paul wraps up this whole book on joy. By simply saying this, we rejoice greatly. We find great joy, he tells the Philippian church. And we live a generous life. Can you bow your heads with me this morning?